Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, September 23rd, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 45 to 68. Moses brings to a conclusion his warning of the curses that will come if Israel forsakes the Lord and his word. Moses is clear that these will not be historical coincidences, but it will be the Lord who will bring them upon his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks. Good to be with you. As we get started today, Pastor Preuss, let's talk a little bit of context. We're picking up at the end of chapter 28. What should we know about what Moses has been up to leading up to this text? Yeah, we're in the midst of the curses that would come upon uh, those who uh, do not listen, the Israelites who do not listen, uh, were they not to listen to the Lord and obey his commandments. So uh, there's there's a need here for the serious threat of the curses. And this whole chapter, chapter 28, actually resembles the final part of a typical ancient Near Eastern covenant. Uh, the Lord's already introduced who he is, talks about the great things he's done to redeem Israel, to bring them to their current position and he gave his commandments that he wanted the Israelites to keep in response to this great love that he has shown them in being their redeemer and bringing them out of this slavery in Egypt. And they agreed to obey his commandments uh, at Horeb at Mount Sinai. Uh, and in this part of the covenant, the Lord is, is now listing through Moses the blessings that would come upon obedience and then the curses that would come upon disobedience. So our portion that we're going to be considering today continues the curses that are threatened for disobedience. And uh, obviously, if you just look at the chapter, it is noticeably a much longer section than the list for the blessings. And that was quite typical of many ancient covenants. Um, So you have 14 verses for the blessings, just to kind of get a little bit of a, a context of this, 14 verses for the blessings, 54 verses for the curses. So this serious warning, is it was needed because of the stubborn, sinful heart of the Israelites. Uh, though they believed in the Lord, they, like Christians today, have this great need to be reminded of what disobedience would get them, were they to chase after disobedience. And uh, it reminds me of the Lutheran Confessions, uh, which in Article 6 of the Solid Declaration of the Formula of Concord, talking about the the third use of the law uh, that is the we typically call a guide for us Um, part of that is that we have this old nature uh, the sinful nature within us and this is how it's described it says for the old creature like a stubborn recalcitrant donkey 
is also still a part of them. That is a part of, of uh, us as Christians. And it needs to be forced into obedience to Christ, not only through the law's teaching, admonition, compulsion, and threat, but also often with the cudgel of punishments and tribulations mm-hmm. until the sinful flesh is completely stripped away and people are perfectly renewed in the resurrection. Then they will need neither the proclamation of the law nor its threats and punishments, just as they will no longer need the gospel, for both belong to this imperfect life. And so it's just a reminder to us of the great need for these serious threats of curses, whether it be for the Israelites back then or for Christians today. Uh, there are evil things out there that would have us uh, be conformed to that, that age that we're living in. And rather than that, the Lord wants us to be transformed um, to to know the things that he knows and to have the knowledge and the mind of of Christ. And so it, it's a hard section to go through, but it's it's a very important uh, part of our lives as believers and for their life back then to know the serious threat of, of the curses that would come upon those who uh, go away from the Lord uh, in their their lives. We reflected a little bit upon the the volume of curses compared to the volume of blessings in the the show yesterday, and I appreciate you bringing in that quote from the formula of Concord, because I, I do think it it's a good reminder that while what we see in Deuteronomy twenty eight may not be a a sermon outline for a Christian pastor today in terms of the amount of space he spends on things, I, I do think that that quote from the formula of Concord is a helpful reminder that the way Moses preaches and the way that he, you know, it almost becomes very repetitive and he's spe- speaking of the curses and their effects. Like this isn't out of bounds for Christian preaching today either. This is something that is still needed to be heard by Christians until Christ returns. Yeah, it is. And we, we kind of have this theology of niceness where we, we misunderstand what Jesus is talking about uh, when when he tells us to be kind, when he tells us to be gentle, when he tells us, you know, to, to speak the truth in love, uh, all of those things are beautiful, beautiful truths that we should certainly uh, let be the, the mode of operation for us as Christians. But at the same time, there are things that God says that are uh, rather fierce and need to be said for the sake of of showing us the danger that lies outside of walking all the way with Jesus. And, I mean, Jesus himself talks about how people will be thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, he, he has some very strong parables that I think are probably not on the you know, top three list of people's favorite parables, but they're very much informative about how the, the Lord warns us against the dangers that are there. He warns us against what will come upon us when we are outside of his grace, outside of his mercy. And so it is a, it's a needed warning. It's kind of like when we warn our children uh, about uh, grave dangers, um, sometimes we need to get, get kind of uh, specific in order to, to instruct them uh, when they're mature, especially uh, just so that they know uh, hey, these are these are real dangers out there, and we do not want you uh, to to be a part of that curse, but to be a part of the blessing. Mm-hmm. So, with that introduction, let's take a look at the text. We're picking up Deuteronomy twenty-eight, verse forty-five today. This is Moses speaking. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you, till you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep His commandments and His statutes that He commanded you. 
They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock, until they they have caused you to perish." They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother to the wife he embraces, and to the last of the children whom he has left, so that he will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, because he has nothing else left in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in all your towns. The most tender and refined woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she is so delicate and tender, will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly, in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in your towns. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, So the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot." But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, If only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, If only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. That's our text for today, Deuteronomy 28, verses 45 to 68. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. 
Pastor Preuss, we get started in verse 45 where, I mean, it really just starts to, to snowball here from, especially when we think about where we left off yesterday, all these curses come upon you. The Lord's pretty clear as to why they come upon the people. It's not a coincidence, but it is because the Lord is doing what he said he would do when they did not obey his voice. Take us into those first few verses of our text. Yeah, the, there's anything but an empty threat with the Lord. And he, uh, the first thing that he mentions here, and it is, it's very difficult to read, and there should be some some emotion that actually is, is brought into you as you as you read it. I, I read it myself, but I, in listening to you read it again, I just, it's it's horrifying, and it is, um, it it's all the good that God could be doing turned around 180 degrees, and so that's what we hear first and foremost is the signs and wonders for destruction, not redemption. Right? So the Lord had used his almighty power in, in signs and wonders in order to redeem Israel. Right, His power is for good, and that's what he wanted for them. Uh, his power is on their side, provided for them, did everything for them. Uh, but if they disobeyed the covenant, which we know they did, um, but here in Deuteronomy, if they disobeyed the covenant and incited the Lord's anger, uh, then they should expect signs and wonders from him, that would lead not to their redemption, but to their destruction. And so they'd be kind of on the other side of it. You know, you think about which side are you on, the Egyptian side or the Israelite side, when it comes to, for example, the uh, Passover, right? And the, the angel of death coming over. I mean, the horrific uh, screams that would come from the Egyptian houses uh, when they saw their firstborn dead. Uh, or, or the 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 drowning screams uh, and uh, of those who who were in the Red Sea, and and so this this power that was was used uh, to defeat the enemies of the Israelites is now he says going to be used to punish the Israelites, and the reason would be clear: it is that they did not serve the Lord their God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. So the Lord gives them this, this rich land, but they live with this prosperity and they live with no fear, love and trust in the Lord. They, they serve the Lord as if they were the slaves to him. He, to, to do what he says is like doing what a master who you ate is, is, is telling you to do. And so they, they look at him in that way instead of, of, you know, as the one who redeemed them so that they're his beloved redeemed. And, um, you know, this reminds me of the distinction between servile and filial fear that uh, also the works of the law versus the fruit of the spirit. You know, the work of the law is, you know, you look at the, the, the master and you might do what the master says, but you hate him. Uh, whereas the, a person who actually loves the master looks at him like a father, right? Um, and sees him as a loving father, does what he says because he knows it's good and knows that that it's good for him and he wants to please please his loving Lord. But this is the exact opposite of what they have. They they are they're looking at the Lord. They're not joyful. They're not glad. Um, and it's in the time of prosperity too. And does, isn't that what happens? I'm reminded of the litany that we pray. This ancient prayer of the church. We, oftentimes congregations will pray this during Lent. Uh, as a, a very regular thing that they will pray. 
And I'm always taken that it says, you know, in times of prosperity, help us, good Lord, Hmm. Um, because we tend to forget the Lord when things are going well. That's also why God built it into the Lord's prayer. Give us this day, our daily bread as a constant reminder that in times of prosperity, when things are going well for you, it is still the Lord who is doing this. And it is always the Lord who is giving you those good times, but we will forget him. And so that's what happened. Um, we know it's what happened, but here it's, it's the threat right here in Deuteronomy. You did not serve the Lord. You didn't look at it as a joyful thing. You weren't glad about it. And so you just looked at God as if he was just some slave driver. Um, that's why you want to go back to Egypt, by the way, (laughs) you know? Um, and then the second thing is that this would lead to them, uh, them to serving their enemies instead. And he said, he just says this flat out, they would have no prosperity or joy anymore. Instead, they would be enslaved in hunger, thirst and nakedness, dire poverty. He talks about the yoke that would be heavy and unrelenting. So this iron yoke, right? I mean, just imagine an iron yoke upon you that would destroy their, their necks, meaning they'd have like the hardest tributary service until they were they were destroyed. So, yeah, this signs and wonders are now for destruction, uh, not redemption. I appreciate you bringing out that that phrase in the litany. I never made that connection, but it's it's right on that it's you know it's right there sandwiched between all the other quote bad things that in all time of our tribulation and then in all time of our prosperity, in the hour of death and in the day of judgment. Help us, good Lord. But but it's perfectly fitting with what Moses says here in Deuteronomy 28 and his warnings elsewhere in the book of Deuteronomy. This was his, his warning to them in, in many other places. When you go into the promised land and there's just all this prosperity, don't forget who gave it to you. Don't start to take pride in yourselves or think that somehow it's just the land. Remember that it is the Lord who's been providing for you in the wilderness, and he's the one who's still doing it in the promised land. And here Moses brings it up in the curses. This was exactly what happened as you didn't listen to that very instruction I gave you. Due to that, then in verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation, and it's an unnamed nation, from far away, swooping down like an eagle. And, and it go, the Lord goes on to describe then what's going to happen. Who, what's, what's the Lord talking about with this foreign nation coming in? Right. So he's going to use this nation. And, you know, you've been bringing this out uh, quite well, that the, the Lord is doing this in response to what they have done. Uh, this isn't just some, uh, you know, Wars are always there, right? Uh, and and so they're just kind of coming upon them, and there's there's no reason why any nation would actually go after Israel. No, the Lord is actually using these nations, particularly raising them up. Uh, and so he doesn't mention a particular nation. I think that's kind of on purpose, just to make us think about all of the nations that have uh, gone against Israel uh, from far away, as he says. Uh, but he does give us some hints, uh, because... He says that it would be like an eagle swooping down, and this this is kind of like a, a powerful, a quick enemy, right? Who's who's swift. Um, it, it could also be translated as a vulture, but you can just imagine like a this this bird of prey or scavenger just coming coming down and and grabbing its prey. And um, when we look at the rest of the Old Testament, we actually see. Uh, that this describes uh, both Assyria, Hosea calls Assyria an eagle over the house of the Lord. Uh, and we also hear Isaiah talk about them as, as a people with an unintelligible language. So similarly to what Moses says here. 
But even more so, I would say, is Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah pictured Babylon as an eagle swooping down, spreading its wings over Moab. Uh, and you see that in, in other books, including Ezekiel, uh, this description of, of Babylon, the Chaldeans, as an eagle swooping down. And, you know, while the description in this section could well describe any of the nations who persecuted the Israelites, I mean, you could even think of Egypt, you could think of Greece, uh, definitely finally Rome, especially with what we're going to talk about here in a little bit um, about what happens inside of the walls. Uh, and Josephus talks about that in, in the history books. Um, but we do well to focus in on the Assyrians and the Babylonians because their behavior particularly fits this section of Deuteronomy. And so uh, just the Assyrians first, we have archaeological evidence of how savage these Assyrian armies were. There are these huge wall reliefs that portray Assyrian soldiers skinning their victims alive, tearing out uh, a man's tongue, impaling their defeated enemies on stakes. I mean, it, it gets really, really gruesome. They're known to, to pile up. Uh, decapitated heads at their feet and in triumph, cut off arms, hands, noses, ears, eyes, extremities. They're ruthless. They were cruel. And and this is this is what's what's really, really makes your your skin crawl is that they were God's instruments, that God was using them. Mm. That's what he's saying here. Uh, the Babylonians say something similar. You know, he talks here in Deuteronomy about you know, these crops and the flocks and the herds. Well, the farmers would plant crops outside the city and walls. They'd have their flocks and herds kind of grazing on the countryside around. But when war came, like so when the Babylonians attacked, the invading armies would destroy the crops, as Moses talks about here, uh, telling us what the Lord would do. They'd slaughter the cattle and the sheep so that everyone would then flee into the city walls for protection. And then there'd be a variety of ways that they would besiege the walls, you know, whether they just ram, ram into it or, you know, toss up ladders to go over it, or they had all sorts of ways that they would besiege the walls. But the people would be inside and they would get desperate and they would do terrible things. And uh, what Moses mentions here is, oh man, it's, it's just harsh to, yeah. to even think about. Uh, but it's something we we have to talk about. Uh, lamenting the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, Jeremiah actually writes about this. That he says, "Death has climbed in through our windows and entered our fortresses. It has cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares." And then in Lamentations, we hear he writes that the women who eat their offspring, the children they have cared for. Uh, to see that the Babylonians too were the Lord's instrument, that this is the curse that he would use. It's just so much. And, you know, Moses, Moses makes it even more explicit, explicit when he talks about these tender men, right? The most refined among you. I mean, think of the most refined man, you know, or think of the most tender footed woman, you know, right? The most uh, refined woman among you. And he says that even they in this time would end up eating their, their own children. the, the, afterbirth and 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 the children that come from them and their their own family i mean we're talking cannibalism here this is this is the harshest i i don't think that there are more gruesome scenes in the bible than what we just read and to then know 
that the Lord is using the nation to lay siege like this. Um, if this doesn't make you think about, you know, God threatening to punish all who break his commandments, therefore we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. I don't know what's going to. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, and it, because it does get even, it's it's worse in this text, just the horror of those words. And as you said, reading them out loud just strikes the horror into your heart all the more than just reading it silently. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, that, that maybe like when we think about what hell is like, we should have something like Deuteronomy 28 in our minds because, you know, it, it's, and I, I mentioned this yesterday, it's one thing to talk about fire and sulfur and an eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's all very bad. And, and those are excellent pictures of what hell is. But sometimes that figurative language maybe doesn't strike our hearts as much as something like this does. And, and if this is what we have in our minds for this is what hell is like, this is what it means to, to receive, you know, God's eternal punishment. Maybe that wakes us up a little bit more. Yeah, I think it does. And I think that's, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Um, our, our imaginations cannot come up with anything more gruesome than what Scripture already puts down. Yeah. So why do we need, I mean, I know there are, there are great, uh, you know, poems and, and whatnot. You've got, you've got Dante, you, you've got, um, you know, Milton's Paradise Lost and, and things like that that can do, describe certain things that are quite gruesome, uh, but not even going outside of the Bible. They, they were in, inspired, I guess you'd have to say. It's still Holy Spirit's word, but it just sounds strange to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. But they were um, they were in, they were inspired to, to come up with these things outside of Scripture because of what Scripture actually does say. And I think we're, there's no, no offense to to you know good devotional use of of scripture but sometimes the devotional books or booklets can get a little bit i don't know only giving you the gospel only giving you kind of really tamed kind of bible passages so that i think people don't even realize that these bible passages even exist Mm. and it, it kind of dumbs down then what what terror looks like and and what desperation looks like and what the curse really looks like uh, the curse that you know christ took upon himself for us and delivered us from and so that is uh you know there's always this hidden hidden gospel which we're, we're going to try to squeeze out of here as much as we can because this is right. this really is what he, what he has delivered us from when, when you know the depth of what he has delivered you from you then realize how much he loves you how much he would go through in order to ha- have you with him. Yeah, that's right. Seeing the, the depths of our depravity, the depths of the curse, the horror of the curse, gives us that much greater appreciation and thanksgiving and joy at what Christ has done for us. We're going to keep looking at this chapter on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking about the end of Deuteronomy 28 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, September 23rd. We're studying Deuteronomy 28, verses 45 to 68 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we left off at verse 58. Moses has described the absolute horror that will be the people of Israel's should they fail to keep the covenant that the Lord their God is giving them. He describes what happens in among the after the Assyrians attack the northern kingdom when the Babylonians attack the southern kingdom very gruesome horrific language that is meant to scare us to fright I mean to cause us to fear the Lord and all the more to give thanks for what Christ our Lord has done for us in verse 58 Moses continues if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written on the book that you may fear the awesome and glorious name, then the Lord's going to bring upon them plagues. And we we start a little bit of a theme that comes up in multiple places, a return to Egypt. What does the Lord say will happen in, with the plagues that happened once to Egypt? Yeah, again, you have this kind of return to, uh, you know, flipping it around. It's no longer the Egyptians who are going to be receiving these plagues or these blows, these, uh, these afflictions that will be upon them. Rather, it will be the Israelites themselves. So if, if the resistance of the people of Israel was, was such that they did not hearken to the voice of the Lord to keep his commandments so that they you know, feared his glorious and awesome name, the Lord, right? This is Yahweh. This is the name of the Lord, the one, the only God who, who redeems his people with with an outstretched arm, right? And, and, and to do this in, in this amazing way for them. Um, if they do not trust in him, they do not fear him, both in the sense of of being terrified of these these curses, to be sure, but also in in revering him and standing in awe of him and trusting in him that he is their God and not wanting any other God. Well, then the afflictions and plagues that had come upon the Egyptians would come upon them. And so, I mean, we should think about those plagues, the, you know, go through Exodus and look at the, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the locusts, the darkness. My, my, my son is uh, in third grade at our church. We give the third graders Bibles. And so I just gave my son a Bible. I told him to read it to his dad because I'm his dad. And so I got to hear him read it to me this morning. Um, and he, I said, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading the plagues. And I said, oh, wow, okay. He says, yeah, I like this part. <laughs> and I said, why do you like this part? And he said, well, I think God is is clever. And then he also talks about how the Lord delivered his, his people and he saved them. And you know, I just thought, what a wonderful thing. And yeah. um, to listen to my son talk about this. And, and then to think of the opposite of that, 
to think that that would then come upon mm. God's own people. Well, why on earth would it come upon God's own people? Well, it comes upon them because because they rejected the Lord. They chose the Egyptians. That's what they wanted, and so they got what they got, except they got even worse. Mm. Um, they should have known better. They were told. They were warned, and they still went into this. Um, and so we hear that it, it, it says every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law. And law, we should just think of the Torah, the Pentateuch. Uh, that you know is written in Exodus, so it would be even worse then for the Israelites than for the Egyptians if they did not fear the Lord and therefore willingly follow His law. And uh, this again is when you know not just the story of what happened, the history of what happened, but this is coming from your own either vision yourself or from your fathers or, or your grandfathers telling you what happened in Egypt, right? And this is so fresh. It's not like us thinking way back and, and, and knowing that this took place. This is very, very stark warning for the people of Israel. Mm. As Moses continues then into verse 62, some of the, the language here, though not as vividly horrifying as the cannibalism that was described, some of this language is, is perhaps even scarier because now we start talking about the promise of Abraham being reversed. And, and what really just threw me off was when it says, as the Lord took delight in doing good, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin. I mean, again, I know that's not as as vivid as what we read about cannibalism, but some of that language is almost scarier because of just the, the way that, I mean, that that's frightening to think that God's going to take delight in bringing ruin upon Israel. I totally agree with you. And it's because as Christians, as those who believe in in the Lord of the Old Testament, who is Christ himself, we we know that the biggest fear is that he would ever forsake us. Uh, we sing in, in the hymn, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. Uh, forsake me not, I trust yeah. thy word. And we, we trust his word because we know that the only thing that could possibly, possibly get us uh, away from him is that the promise would be taken away. And so when you actually hear him articulate it in such a way that, you know, you have this promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. But here the Lord is saying, you break this covenant, you refuse to listen and obey the voice of the Lord, then you're going to be few in number. Right? He's going to give you the opposite of the promise. Uh, you're going to be like you were when you went to Egypt, not when you came out of it. And what's more, the, the same Lord who was pleased to do Israel good, right? it pleased him to multiply them. Uh, as you said, would delight then instead in bringing ruin upon them and destroying them. Uh, his good pleasure is to save. I mean, we, we know this, that it's, it's not his desire to see the death of the wicked, but they turn from their way and live. Uh, and, and that, you know, he desires all people to come to a knowledge of the truth, that this is his will. This is his good and gracious will. Um, but then they're going to be plucked off the land promised to Abraham and his offspring and which they at the current time were entering to take possession of it. Right. This is before, before they go in, this is Moses talking. So this isn't Joshua. Right. Um, and so it, it is, it's, it's alarming. 
uh, one theologian explained why the Lord would do such a thing. He said, greatly as the sin of man troubles God and little as the pleasure may be which he has in the death of the wicked, yet the holiness of his love demands the punishment and destruction of those who despise the riches of his goodness and long suffering, so that he displays his glory in the judgment and destruction of the wicked, no less than in blessing and prospering the righteous. And you have to think of it from that perspective that in order to protect us, those who are our believers, he has to destroy the wicked. Mm. And it is sad to think upon the believers who've lost the faith, those who were the people of God but are no longer. But we do not believe that one is it that it's not possible to lose the faith. We do believe it's possible to lose the faith. And uh, that's what happened with these Israelites, and that's why this threat is the way that it is. In verse 64, then, the Lord says he's going to scatter his people among the peoples. And and now this is where I think we start to get into more of that. He gives them what they wanted because he, the Lord starts to describe the idolatry that they will have in these scattered places. Take us into to verses 64 and following. Yeah, I've heard it said, you know, uh, these people will not say, thy will be done. And so God says to them, thy will be done. And, you know, those who survived the plagues and afflictions just mentioned would be scattered across the earth. They'd serve other gods of wood and stone, uh, which neither they nor their fathers had known. And uh, these gods obviously can't hear their prayers or rescue them because they're false. They're not alive. Um, They have, you know, eyes but cannot see and ears that cannot hear, just like they spiritually as Israelites uh, turned into. Uh, and in this place that they would go to, they'd have no respite, right? They would have no resting place for the sole of their foot, meaning they would not remain in one place, but would be moving around with no place to call their home their own. Uh, and the Lord would make their hearts tremble in fear. Their eyes fail, so they had no real life in them. Their souls would be despairing. They would live in doubt, uncertainty, so that night and day uh, they would be terrified, have no assurance that they would be preserved. Because of the terrors that they would feel in their hearts and the atrocities that they would see, they would have no rest. And in the morning, they'd cry for evening and the evening for morning, just just hopeless. It's just despairing. And again, they won't say, thy will be done. So God says, thy will be done. You want this? This is what you're going to have then. You've, you've asked for it. I've offered you life. And you've said, no, I want death and slavery. Mm. Yeah, and so and so God gives them what they want. I mean, you talk about the the return to Egypt, which is is certainly coming up in this last verse. But just thinking about what happens to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, how uh, one of the ways when we when we studied Exodus here on Sharper Iron a couple of years ago was we talked about that God gave Pharaoh what he wanted. Pharaoh wanted yeah. nothing to do with the Lord, and and so God eventually gave it to him. And now the the tragedy here is that the people whom God rescued from that very Pharaoh now would fall into that same way of thinking, into that same idolatry, wanting nothing to do with the Lord. And so he, he gives them what they wanted. That's a, I mean, again, it's, it's a, you know, it's a mystery why people reject, but it's, it's an absolute tragedy that people reject too, because it, like, why, why would you do that? And, and that's one thing throughout the book of Deuteronomy, and, and especially as we start to get toward the end here, and, and Moses really is, you know, putting before them, as he will say in chapter 30, the way of blessing and the way of curse, the way of, of life and the way of death. Why would you choose 
death? Why would you choose the curse? And, and, and tragically, the very people who had the blessing and had the life, they choose it. And God just gives them, that's what they wanted. That just, man, I, I, the tragedy of it strikes me every time I think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they, they don't realize that they are creatures of compulsion listening to the devil and that they are, they're actually enslaved and that's what they want. They want to be enslaved. Um, and so, you know, you consider the numerous times that the Israelites complained about wanting to go back to Egypt, right? They got cucumbers there. They got leeks there. They got the meat pots, right? You know, and they just wanted, wanted so much. But while they're wandering in the wilderness, they just can't understand that anything's better than that slavery that they had. And so they're, they're living by, by sight and not by faith. Um, and so this is, this is the Lord essentially giving them what they wanted generations later. Uh, again, uh, one theologian said if the Exodus was the birth of the nation of God, as such, uh, return would be its death, right? So here's the birth of the nation of God, redeemed, and through the Red Sea, redeemed and, and washed, and now they wander. But here, they're going to go back. They want to go back, and there's, there's the death. Uh, and it, it's made even more, uh, it's kind of accented, where the returning in ships, it says, uh, meaning that they're not going to be able to escape this punishment. They're not going to be able to, you know, walk away and, and, and wander back uh, to where God has them. He's, he's going to have them return in ships. They're, they're not going to be able to get back and escape any type of punishment. It's going to come upon them. And the fact that this was a journey that the Lord promised that they should never make again, this is actually, it, sh- it serves to show that the Lord would never have chosen this for them himself. He did not choose this. He chose life. He chose redemption. He chose uh, a promised land, a fulfillment of promises to those whom he loves. And had they continued in faithfulness to him, then they would never have seen this slavery again. But they, again, chose the slavery. And to add insult to injury, not only would they offer themselves for sale as slaves, it says, but their condition would be so terrible that no one would even want to buy them. Hmm. So, I mean, what a what a thought. I mean they would be viewed as so low that they were not even good enough to be slaves. Uh, and certainly this was fulfilled uh, in a few ways that we see in, in the future of the, after Deuteronomy. Um, Titus, we hear from Josephus, uh, sent 17,000 adult Jews to Egypt to perform hard labor there. Um, we hear uh, of another time uh, where the, you know, the Romans uh, also uh, have, um, you know, it was fulfilled in the time of the Romans in Egypt. Uh, so, I mean, all of these curses, however we want to look at this, uh, were, were really uh, showing how bad it would be were you to forsake the Lord. Um, and, and, and maybe the only way to then see the gospel in any of this is that the Lord certainly did not want this. And he even forsook his own son um, in order to to bring the curse upon him so that we might live. Uh, and that's why, you know, the ultimate uh, sadness of all of this rejection of the Lord is when they yelled out, crucify him and let his blood be on us and on our children. They're, they're rejecting the Lord to the very end. Um, but it is the Lord who wants to draw all men to himself. Uh, and these people included, there's always a remnant. Uh, he does not utterly destroy them. Otherwise, Jesus could not have been a Jew. Yeah. Uh, but he, inf- they were, though, enslaved to the devil, uh, even though Jesus sought to buy them by his blood. 
and and we should then cling to the blood of Christ that bought us uh, and see that this is this is for all and, and take this warning uh, for what it is. Mm. Yeah, one one note just on the the what we're reading here because we've we've talked about fulfillments of this text and and it is a fulfillment in the sense that God does what He says, but there there are moments particularly in in this section where the the if of the the condition almost sounds like a win is do you think Moses is is being prophetic here in in that sense or is it is it really just the I mean I know you mentioned it, the the form of the treaty where it is you have the blessings and curses at this point but there are sometimes like I mean particularly here where it just sounds like Moses he knows what's going to happen yes you know and even if Moses doesn't the Lord who gave him the words to speak certainly does and it is, I think we should look at it as fulfillment. Uh, I don't see how you can possibly look at those words and then hear what happened with the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans, and not see this as being fulfilled in, in real time. Uh, and God saying, I wanted to gather you under my wings like a mother hen, but you were unwilling. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Jesus says that uh, as he weeps over Jerusalem. So, yeah, we we have to deal with, with the history of this, too, that Moses is the greatest of prophets um, and that Jesus is the only one who surpasses him. Uh, no one was like Moses who saw God face to face. And so the things he knew and the things that he prophesied about were straight from the Lord and to, to know the, the future of what would happen uh, yeah, we, we've been saying if, but we know the history of God's people, Israel, and we have to say that it really was turned into a, a win. Mm, yeah, yeah. So that gives us about, we got about 10 minutes here on the morning, Pastor Price, to reflect on, on this text. For, for our use as Christians today, we've done some of this al- already in terms of the, the need for such preaching still today. How, how do Christians today read a text like Deuteronomy 28, which I don't know, maybe it does show up in Portals of Prayer. I, I haven't read Portals of Prayer in a while, I will say. So maybe it does show up in Portals of Prayer, but not in most devotional books. I don't think De- Deuteronomy 28 is in the lectionary anywhere. How do, how do we read it as Christians? What do we do with it? Yeah, there are a few applications. The, the first thing I'd just like to kind of bring out is uh, the, that the last state is, is worse than the first. Uh, when you, you look at that disobedience of God, that, that making a habit of, of sinning without any repentance, we call this uh, a ruling sin, right? Rather than ruling over your sin, living in repentance, clinging to the forgiveness that the Lord gives, you just reject that. You don't live in repentance at all, and you just you just make a habit out of sinning. You say, this is just the way I'm going to be. Uh, if, if that's the way that you live, you need to understand that the Lord does say very specifically that you can expect no good temporally or eternally. Jesus tells a parable about a man who had a demon cast out of him, and he thought that everything was good, and, and he had everything all swept up, and, and, and it, was, it was all good now. But the demon, looking for waterless places, can't find anything, finds seven more demons, brings them back, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And St. Peter picks up on this in his second epistle, in chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, 
the last state has become worse for them than the first. So where he ends up quoting the proverb, right, where it says the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. These are real threats. They are real warnings to us as Christians, sober reminders for us to be serious about what it is we are doing here in the Christian church. This is not some sort of entertainment. This is not some sort of therapy. This is not just some sort of tradition that we have. This is real. God is real. Jesus is real. Uh, he really did take the curse for us. He took the punishment for us. All of those atrocities that we just had to listen to uh, and and rethink, uh, and, and maybe for some of you, the first time. But all of those things Christ took upon himself. And if you are outside of Christ, you will have to take those yourself. And so it is a warning that we need Jesus. Where is he to be found? He is found in his word. He is found in his sacraments. He is found where he has promised to be for us. And so may this be a sober reminder that the law and its threats are always meant to primarily, chiefly, above all things, the law and its threats are meant to drive us to the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, John 3.16, we know it so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, he goes on, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So I, I would say that, that this is a warning about the last day being worse than the first and, and meant to then drive us through the threats of the law back to uh, the loving and merciful God uh, who has shown himself to us in the person and work of his incarnate son. With the you bringing up the last state being worse than the first, I, I would I would take this text then to be a, a very much a, a strong warning against, uh, and you've mentioned it already, the idea of once saved, always saved, that I'm, I'm saved, so I'm good. But this this very text was spoken to people who had been saved, very literally, from slavery in Egypt. They had been rescued, brought through the Red Sea, and and yet the Lord takes the time to warn them. This is, I mean, this I think this is the way Saint Paul speaks in First Corinthians ten, where he reminds us to you know take heed lest you fall. Don't think that you're so strong that you will you would never fall. Remember what happened to the Israelites. And so that, you know, that, that very warning for us as Christians, particularly, it's, it's easy to look at the world around us and see the great wickedness and, and think, oh, that's awful. And it is awful. But the, I suppose the temptation then is to think that we could never fall into such wickedness or never be tempted by that wickedness to, to run away from the Lord. And so as long as our names are on a church roll somewhere, or as long as I was baptized, even if I never hear the word of God again, I'm good. This A text like this speaks very strongly against that kind of thinking that would, you know, to be careful. That was the, the Moses language in verse 58. Be careful to do all the words of this law, not just take it for granted, but actually be careful to hear it as, as you know, with, with your son, that, that you're reading it together as a family. Like, that's really important that you take care to do that, lest you fall. That, that warning in particular strikes me. Yeah. 
And, and I mean, you just put it so well. I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> it was it was really well put. I, I think that this is something that today as Lutherans, let's just be honest, when it comes to confirmation, um, we, we have had kind of an attitude of graduation and, and people uh, not taking this seriously. Uh, in our congregations, as pastors, as laity, as 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 the body of Christ and its many members, this, these are, these kinds of texts are uh, pleading with us to take this vow seriously, hmm. to understand what we are doing when we come before God and His congregation, and say that we will be faithful unto death, because we know that there's a crown of life that is awaiting us, uh, and we are saved by God's grace through faith alone, no doubt through Christ alone and, and, and through what he has done for us. But there's something that wants to steal that faith from you. Uh, your sinful flesh wants to steal that faith from you and be enslaved. It doesn't know any better. Uh, the devil is after us. He's like a prowling lion, right? Seeking one to devour. And so let's not tempt God. Let's rather let God, as he, he says to us, you know, no temptation has come upon you that's not common to man. He will provide the way of escape. And so what is the way of escape? The way of escape is Christ. It is repenting and clinging to Jesus Christ, remaining in his word, sharpening one another with that word so that these unspeakable curses that we have had to go through here um, would never come upon us. And in Christ, they never will. So flee to him, flee to his word, flee to his sacrament continually. uh, And may that be your life. Pastor Stephen Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us today with Deuteronomy 28, verses 45 to 68. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. The curses spoken by Moses in Deuteronomy 28 are difficult to read, no doubt, and yet we do well to take serious sin, the same way our Lord takes sin seriously. This is the punishment that it deserves. The Lord has put all of this punishment, all of this curse on Christ. He has become a curse for us, St. Paul writes, so that in him we might receive the blessing of God. Flee to Christ. Do not trust in your own strength or your, your heritage or anything other than Christ. He alone is your refuge. He is your salvation. And knowing that this is what your sin deserves, rejoice all the more in what God has done for you in the Savior, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended for you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy 28 or any of the book of Deuteronomy, we would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at kfuo at kfuo.org. You can also use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. It's always a joy to get your questions. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.